Let's pray and then let's begin. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would guide us today as we look into your word and as we talk about this story that is so familiar to so many of us. But Lord, give us a new view. Give us your view. Give us a perspective that helps us understand the deep, deep, deep love you have for humanity. Bless this time that we share. Lord, we lift up Jack. He has arrived in uh, Lebanon. Keep him safe, Lord, as he ministers to the people in Lebanon, uh, Beirut specifically, and in Syria, Aleppo, and all the other towns and cities. Not only um, put your shield about him, Lord, but inspire him by your Holy Spirit that he might minister to them as well as he ministers to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, I want to know, how many of you grew up like chewing on Noah and the Ark? You know, it just is like a story you knew. It's just like, okay. So tell me, what is it about Noah and the Ark that comes to mind for you, first and foremost? Smell. What? Smell. The smell? All right, there we go. We need these microphones so I can hear properly. What else? Animals. Animals. We love the animals. Two by two. Oh, wait. No, it's not just two by two, but we'll talk about that. What else? Anything else? Yes. The rainbow. Did you really say smell? <laughs> this is one of my closest friends, Martha Dominguez, and I should know that that, that should... That should be her answer, okay. But I'm, I'm a little surprised by that. Okay, uh, Noah, like God makes a covenant with Abraham, but the first covenant that God makes, not only with Noah, but with all humanity out of Noah, is what's called the Noahic covenant. There are five. There is the Noahic, there's the Abraham, and I will get to teach to you on one of my favorite Old, pa Old Testament passages, and that is in a couple of weeks. So you have me for three weeks, guys. <laughs> Sorry about that, but here I am. And then you, have, um, then you have the Moses covenant, you have the Davidic covenant, and then you have the New Covenant, the one that we are probably most familiar with, the covenant of, um, of the New Cup uh, a new covenant I give to you through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is an, an important passage. It is prehistory. So somebody was really vexed by the age of, um, like Methuselah lived 959 years, really. Moses lives about 936 years, really prehistory, folks. It's a story about the God of Israel. And if we lose sight of that, then we're going to do what so many of us did when we were kids, and if you grew up in a, in a more um, fundamental um, place, it, it had to be, that, that timeline was really important, and then they missed the point of the whole passage. So don't, let's not go there, because you're not going to be able to make sense of that. And it's not the purpose. The purpose is that they're trying to put together a, a time that said no matter how long, God of Israel is present with the people. Okay, so I'm going to try and run us, run us through this so that we have time to talk about some things. Um, but I think it's fair to say that everybody knows about Noah and the Ark, and we all think about the animals, the smell. I'll never be the same, Martha, thank you. Um, the big boat and even bigger rainbow. And that's the good news, is that what God does supersedes it all. 
The real story is a look at the only God, the God of Israel. And the real story is the look of who God is in the midst of a great travesty. It's about a creation gone awry and a new creation that comes out of that. And so that's what I want us to keep in mind. Okay, so we're going to begin. The, the first verses, 5 through 7, there is, uh, and I can't read it all. I could read it all, and it would be done. But I'm going to assume that you've either read it, or you go back and read it, or you remember from when you were a child. Now, if you remember all the specifics of how the ark was made, I am impressed and would guess that you were an engineer, but there you go. So there's trouble in creation as it turned once again from God and took on evil. And um, God's covenant that he made with, you know, Adam, I'm going to take care of you. I mean, life is really going to be hard, but rather than have you drop dead from eating the fruit that I told you not to eat because you would die, your life will be difficult, but you won't die straight away. And you are still going to multiply. And you are still going to work the land. And you are still going to um, have your wife and children and go from there. And so the last week you saw all those folks. You got an idea that something's gone awry because you looked at, at um, Cain and um, Enoch, who's a good person and walked with God. But then um, Lamech, who is the father of um, Noah, just not great people, you know. So you see that there's trouble. There's trouble in, in the earth. And God sees this and is deeply, and here's the most important thing. Um, in verse 5, it says that every inclination of their thoughts, um, of their heart, was only evil continually. Only evil continually. And he's talking about humankind because humankind affects all of creation. And so God is seeing this. And the Lord was sorry that he made humankind. And it grieved him to his heart. Core to this study is the heart of God. That's what this study is really about. It's not about um, the animals, as much as I love animals. It's not even about the priestly, let me get things numbered for you, or the Yahweh, that God is a personal, you know, here he is, he's taking care of all these things. Those are really important. But the real core of this is that God who loves us, who created us to be in relationship with a perfect creation has deserted that. And God is grieved. And the language used here, in fact, the word used here, that grief word, and I'm looking for my um, nurse who helps deliver babies. Where are you, Stephanie? <laughs> anyway, there you are, Stephanie. That the word pain that's used, or travail, that's used in Genesis um, 3.16 is the exact word used for God and his grief except his isn't temporary. He is consumed. He is consumed with the pain in his heart about creation having gone so awry. So God creates the world and the earth to be in relationship with him. So the creation in its behavior rejects the creator. Now, this is God. You would think, okay, I can 
move on, let that go, whatever. But he's grieved. And I just, I, you know, when we think about all our emotions, and unfortunately some of us are taught you shouldn't cry, grow up, no crying aloud. Um, you couldn't show your anger. You couldn't show, you just, no, that's not very good of you. And, and some would say, well, Jesus was never depressed. Meet Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's depression, folks. Father, can I just not drink from this cup, which is the new covenant? So hard. Jesus, deeply grieved by the loss of Lazarus. There are deep, deep feelings here. And God is grieved. And those emotions that God gives us help us be God, God's image there. They're not meant to be shoved aside or ignored. But God decides, you know, he's brokenhearted. The world's grief is, the world which has caused grief, God is saying, I'm done. I'm just going to destroy it all. I'm going to, I'm, I, I'm just going to finish the world. And then it, it goes to verse um, 7, and, and, and verse 7 said, I will blot out the earth and human beings I've created. You're going to hear that word blot out about three times in the scripture. This is one serious, <laughs> serious act that God's about to do. I am sorry. You ever been sorry you've done something? You know how that haunts you? Oh my gosh. It just it just uh, just like something on your back or something in your belly that goes around you all day long. So the grief and the sorrow and I'm sorry I've done this and I I'm sorry I made it and I'm 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 going to blot out everything, the human beings and all creatures, those in the air and those on the ground and those creepy crawly things, all of it. All of it is going. And then it says this. But Noah found favor in the sight of God. We don't know what Noah did. God looked at Noah and saw what he was doing. So it's interesting. Let's God define who you are. Let God define who you are. And he looked at Noah. And he goes, well, I find favor. And um, favor is a, a wonderful word to be acceptable. Um, God is once again the judge of evil and good, and Noah, however, is attributed as righteous, blameless, which means he had a whole heart for God. His focus was Godward, not earthly. That's kind of, if we just stop there and go, oh, well, if every day I started thinking about, Lord, what is it that you would like me to do? God, where are you in my life? What are you doing? It'd be so much different than looking out at the world and going, okay, what is it I need to do today? What's on my list? What is it I want? What is it? Lord God, guide me. Noah seemed to do that because God looked at him and found favor. God looked at him and said, he has a whole heart. That is the blameless. Don't think that Noah was out sinning. We will see that. Um, but, but just remember he had a whole heart for God. And God, so God pauses. And we have the descendants of Noah. And so he talks about, he's got these three sons. And, um, and uh, Noah walked with God. And, and that's an important element. So goes back again. Uh, verses 5 through 7 and 11 through 13. Um, they're kind of tied together because God looks again at the evil of the world. You know, it's kind of like you see all this, 
horrible, terrible things, and then all of a sudden there's like this little glimpse. This is a silly story, but Rick and I are watching, because we love base, we love sports, doesn't matter, we love sports, but baseball's kind of big. So um, New York, which we're never for, just to let you know, we're, you know, Rick's from Jersey. They're playing Houston. Oh, no, they were playing the, the Guardians, and we like Guardians. We don't like Houston either. Anything Texas, New York, we kind of have a hard time with. But there is a boy watching the game. Didn't you watch this game last night? Did you see that boy they filmed? He is sobbing. He is for Houston. It's the bottom of the ninth. It's the bottom of the ninth, and they're down 5-7. I'm going to cry. This child is crying. Does anyone know the end of the game, other than Ellen Rendell over here? They won! Rick and I are cheering for Houston because of the sadness of this little <laughs> nine-year-old boy. There's hope. That's what God saw in Noah. So God said, it's so bad. Everything, everything is, is terrible. He was going to destroy all living flesh. And again, total decay, and decay is not a word we think of, but total decay is that which happens when bad things get in there. Now the good news is, is out of decay comes new life now because that's a God thing. But at this point, he just sees the decay. Um... Again, the, the people have, uh, the creation has rejected both the creator and the creation. And uh, three, three times that word is, the word corrupt is used to make, again, Israel, and to make us understand how bad things really were. Oftentimes when we think about Noah and the ark, or we think about what happened, God judged, God judged, God judged. But we don't think about Humanity was corrupt, the worst, done everything wrong. But then God looks at this. He said, I've determined to end all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. And then he turns in verse 14. He goes, I'm going to destroy everything, however... <laughs> Noah, you're going to build an ark. So at this point, God has changed his mind. Now, that's scary. You have a question in here. If God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, how does he change his mind? We'll talk about that a little later, if you like. Or you could talk about it in your groups. But God is going to destroy all the creation. So I'm going to destroy the animals and the people and everything else However, Noah, I'm going to have you build an ark for you and the eight members of your family. God changes his mind because God sees in Noah a person who has a heart for God. And so he tells him, I'm going to end it all, but I want you to do this. And then he goes into... Um, 
the description of the ark and um, and the important part of the description of the ark is not that you can memorize it. Now, my father was a civil engineer. My husband is a retired psychologist, but he's a mechanical engineer by schooling and um, before he got his PhD. And so I love engineers, and I love the way they think, and I love the way they do things. It's probably in my genes back there somewhere. So I love these numbers. Now, this is the very priestly thing, because everything has to be in order. But if you get caught up with that, you'll forget that the most important thing about the dimensions is that it's God's choosing, not Noah's. It's a God thing, not Noah's. So if God is going to ask you to do something, he's going to take care of it. Any of you seen the movie Evan Almighty? It's worth it. It's a very, very cute movie. I love it. Um, there's so many good lines in it. But one is, is uh, you know, uh, this guy has to, it's modern times, and he has to, Evan has to build this ark, and he's like, ah, all of a sudden, wood starts landing in his property, or right across the street, all these properties he's bought, that, what? I bought these, I don't have the money to buy these properties. And then all the animals come, and they start helping build it, and his son starts, you know, and it's kind of, it's a very, very cute story, but God supplies everything that's needed. God's choosing. And that we, we need to remember that. He announces his judgment is going to be carried out in a flood. Now, at this time in the history, which is not history, so it's prehistory, but the idea was from, um, from early, early on in Israel's tradition and in others too, is that you have this firmament. Um, so you have the heavenly oceans, and then you have the oceans on, on earth. And that the, those two, never the twain shall meet. You know, there's kind of like, any of you watch The Simpsons? <laughs> this is like, this is way too much disclosure on my part. But, you know, <laughs> so I have a husband who watches it. So um, there's this, they have this one movie, and it's like this glass dome that goes over the whole city, and nothing can get in, nothing can get in, you know. And finally there's a little hole cut on top, and they could do something. But... Um, it's that kind of a thing. They're kind of in this bubble. And so they don't know about floods. They don't even know about rain or water. It hasn't existed yet. And the dew on the ground is something that God has produced for them. So that's, you know, so the worldview is that uh, there's no rain on the ground. And I mentioned that there are other flood stories. The other flood stories do not have a God whose heart is broken. See what Israel does? They have a God who's a personal God, a God who's a precious God, a God who's our God. And so God said, okay, um, no experience with this. Um, and he separated, you know, if you look back at Genesis 1-7, remember you have that, that dome. So God made the dome and separated the watchers that are under the dome from the watchers that are above the dome. What he said after that, though, that's important, is he said the breath of life will be consumed. Now, when God created humanity, what did he do into the nostrils of the man? Breathe life. I'm going to take that breath away. Not the song, but take the breath of life away. Thank you for getting that humor. <laughs> this is what happens when you're tired. You just, okay. All right, so God makes a covenant with Noah. With you, I will make my covenant and instructs his family, which becomes the new 
um, creation covenant. And what God said is he make, number one, he makes a covenant with Noah. Know that. Um, it, it's kind of like if you stand in the garage, it doesn't make you a car. Um, if you stand next to your dad, it does not make you righteous. That's a great model. So the covenant is made with Noah. Not that his sons are bad or good, because they only have one wife. That's pretty good. Um, you have no recollection of righteous um, men in the Old Testament having more than one wife um, until you get to Abraham. Um, We'll talk about that when we get there. But um, here you have a righteous man, and God is making his covenant with him. And he's saying, okay, I was going to destroy creation. Now I'm going to make a new creation out of this. But I'm going to get rid of everything else on the earth except for you and the animals I want you to bring in now and, um, and your family. And that will be the new covenant. Now we're going to look at the Noah covenant later. But right now he's making a covenant with Moses. I'm going to do this. Again, who's the initiator? Again, who's doing this? This is God who's doing this. And, um, and Noah responds with obedience to God's instructions. Uh, so once again, very subtly, you see that Noah does what God says. Lo and behold, normally I'm in the negotiating mode with, and I feel God is calling me to do something. Well, let's talk about it, God. I love Nate Landis when he preached a few weeks ago and his wife said, you know, let's have a foster child. And he said, so I did the spiritual thing of delay by saying, well, let's pray about it. You know, it's the same way. Moses said yes. He just said yes there. All right. If you're following this, good luck. But I am down to um, two verses... Um, at the end of um, 16, that Noah did all that, or, 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 verse 22 of, of chapter 6. Um, go up just a little bit from that, and this is where he says, um, I will establish my covenant with you, in verse 18, and your sons and wives with you, and of every living thing, all of, of all flesh you shall bring into every kind into the ark, to keep them alive, and you shall, and they shall be male and female. So he's saying the covenant, bringing, bringing it with you, Noah, but bring your family. They're part of this covenant now, and they're going two by two, male and female, of all the animals, those that fly, those that are in the air, those are creepy, creepy stuff, all the birds, everything, um, according to, to the kind. I'm, I'm really hoping that the insects were not invited, but, you know, so. <laughs> Also take with you every kind of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them, which I think is interesting. You know, we're very picky. Our dogs like our food. I'm not so sure I like their food. But um, get the food that's going to feed everybody. Collect that. Once again, God is at the very one who's helping this happen. And um, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Then the Lord said to Noah, and this is, Verse 7, go into the ark, you and your household, for I've seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals. Here's a second flood story, folks. Here's the priestly input. Remember the priests like numbers. They like everything in order. They like the perfect. So seven kind of shows completion. So you're going to bring these animals. They're going to be for sacrifices, which, of course, in the in the 
Jewish tradition, you would have sacrifices, so you're going to need those animals. So first he goes two by two, and when you thought of your cute little animals, did you think of the seven clean animals, male, female, and then the other, you know, like the, the dirty animals, which we don't know, we find out later, those that are unclean, not dirty, but unclean. Uh, we don't think about that, right? We just think of two by two, but all of a sudden, God is saying, ah, we're going to bring these in. So here's the influence of the priestly folks by they're in there. Uh, say, take the pears. Uh, I, um, for in seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights. That's down at verse seven of chapter, verse four of chapter seven. Um, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that Lord had commanded him. Second time we've heard that word. I'm going to blot everything out. We've heard again. Noah does everything God commands him. So again, um, Noah is responding to what God is calling him to do. And then we find out that Noah is 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. God also said it's 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I've said this to you. I should be blue in the face by now. 40 days means a long time. It's not an exacting. This is prehistory. Let me give an example. Three days is short, a short time. Jesus could not be in the tomb for three full days. He was taken off the cross late Friday afternoon. He rose before Sunday morning sun rose. It's not three days. I've had people say, well, it really happened on Thursday before. It just means that Jesus was in the tomb for a short time. Now, four days becomes important because that means your spirit has left you in the Jewish tradition. So those are just things, if, if you wanted to know that that's important. But 40 just means a long time. And if you don't understand that, then all the days that are talked about later in this chapter become confusing. Because it's like, okay, well, 40 days and 40 nights, okay. And then it was like, wait, they were there this, and they were there this, and then... It, it just is trying to put a timeline together in prehistory for the people who are reading it to say that God is with them during this whole time, during this whole time. Okay? You with me so far? I know I'm, but it's a lot of stuff. All right. So it gives them instructions, and then further instructions, again, affirms the unique um, righteousness of Noah, keeps with the P tradition, and then in verse 6 through 24, 600, he and his family, along with all the animals, clean and unclean, two by two and seven by seven, um, go in, and the life of the earth is destroyed. And here's the thing that's amazing. They all go in, um, two by two, as God has commanded. After seven days, the water of the floods came on the earth. And um, again, if you look at verse 11, all those things, but God is the one who shuts the door of the ark. Again, a reminder, it's God who's doing this. God is in control of this. And um, all the animals are in there, and they went into the ark, and Noah too, and flesh, and those that entered, male and female, went in, and God commanded, and the Lord shut him in. And that's the end of verse 16. And then there's the the flood continued for 40 days on the earth, and the waters increased. 
and everything on the, um, but the ark floated above it, everything else gets covered, and so the, the 15 cubits that's mentioned in here, that's about 22 feet above whatever the highest mountain was, that's just to say it's covered. <laughs> it's, everybody's under there. And uh, they did not have swim lessons then, so it's, you know, even if you could swim to the surface, where are you going? So they're, everything's destroyed. Got rid of all living creatures, remember? Humanity, everything that, that lives, everything that has breath, everything that's there, all that is done. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, all swarming creatures that swarm the earth, and all human beings, everything on dry land, in whose nostrils was a breath of life, died. Here, verse 23, third time. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the earth, human beings and animals creeping, da da da, da. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the water swelled on the earth for 150 days. Okay, so that's, again, uh, an influence there that, you know, when the rain stops, you think it's over. But um, if you've ever been in the desert, like there's a thunderstorm, the rain stops, and all of a sudden all this water comes gushing in from everywhere. So you kind of have an idea. We're in Southern California. <laughs> so on, if you look at Facebook, people are posting rain last night. How crazy is that? Well, we're in Southern California. <laughs> they have friends in, in the you know, south or you know, along the east coast. They're like, what? Um, if you've seen floods, you've seen that the waters will continue to rise. So. Um, those begin to happen. And then in verse, um, the rain has stopped, verse 19, or, two, or 1 through 19, um, Noah begins as the waters um, abates, Noah sends out first a raven and then a dove. And he sends a raven once and the dove twice. Now, I did my little homework on this. Um, mostly because I just love to study. If you guys could just let me study all the time, I'd really be happy. So uh, one of the rabbinic traditions is that it goes this way. Now, this is a tradition, like prehistory. Um, but here's something that they would think. Ravens are the kind of birds that um, are not known as those who hang out in branches or who nest or do anything else. They're kind of wanderers, and they're out there. And so the raven, he can see the raven, as you look at the scripture, kind of out there, kind of making these circles bigger and bigger. And the raven doesn't come back. So Noah's thinking, well, he's probably gone somewhere. They're probably, you know, he's seen the land, but he doesn't know, is it muddy? Is it habitable? Is it, is it ready and so he's still in the ark. So then he sends a dove. Now, doves are known for peace. They're known at the presence of Christ, baptism. You know, the dove descends. So we think of a dove in those terms. But practically, doves are, um, are ones that hang out and nest. Have you ever let a dove go and he comes back home? If you ever, you know, had, my brother had homing pigeons. My brother had frogs. I had, I had, I didn't have those. Anyway, <laughs> so his homing pigeon, that was really fun, you know. Um, but doves are kind of the same way. And so the dove goes out, um, and he comes back with a twig in its mouth. Now, it's an olive branch. Now, olive branches um, are on a tree that's not a huge tree. He did not find a redwood, okay? He found an olive tree. 
but he didn't stay, comes back. So then the Lord sends him again, and um, stop, stop. I have um, the Lord sends him again, and this time, or her, the dove doesn't come back. All right, well, doves are also nesting animals. What do you need to build a nest? Have you ever looked at a nest? What's You need twigs. You need twigs and leaves. So the dove's out there. He goes, well, I have, a, I have a place to rest, but I don't have a place to build my nest. Next time he goes out, he doesn't come back, or she doesn't come back. He can build a nest. And so Noah knows that there must be enough solid, dry ground for him to come out. So I think that's a great explanation of maybe why, um, but there's not a huge um, theological, <laughs> like the dove. You could go there, I suppose, but I think mostly um, you just have to look at, this makes practical sense. It makes sense for how God might do this. So the dove goes out, and then um, in verse 20 through 22, and this becomes very, very key, it goes back first to verse, in chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. How is it, how, how would you explain God's heart? What is God's heart in the very beginning when he sees a corruptness? Grieved, broken, great sorrow. All right, well, look with me really quickly. Verses uh, 20 of, of chapter 8. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from your youth. But what happened? Smelled the pleasing. The Lord was pleased. His heart had been changed. And then he goes on, as you saw, I will never again curse the ground, even though human is inclined to every evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endure, endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God changed his mind. Not because we got better, but because God is a gracious God. Do you see that there? There is a, there is a change in God. An, an expectation was that you're in relationship with me and I'm in relationship with you. But now you've gone astray. You have, you have ruined the creation and you've ignored the creator. Destroy everything. Wait, Noah. Okay, Noah, you and your family are going to be saved. I'll make a covenant with you. And then he sees the heart of Noah, which is to worship God. So all those good seven animals they took in there are useful here. <laughs> so he gives a burnt offering, and it pleases the Lord. And the odor, and God's heart swells, and he goes, I'm not going to destroy the earth again in this way. I just, I won't do it. So summer, winter, spring, fall. If you grew up any place but California, you know what that means. <laughs> I'm like, I grew up in Santa Barbara. Not sure. Got a little colder in winter. You know, but that means that in all seasons, at all times, 
God is with us and he's doing that. Okay, so the last verse is here. And we're okay. Um, so, so in verses 1 through 7, God blesses Noah and his son, and he tells them to multiply and fill the earth. And then he goes on to say, you are in uh, command that, that animals will fear you, that you are the one in command. And fear is both respect and also watch out because God allows them um, to eat meat. Now, this is the first time in Scripture where permission is um, given to eat meat. Just saying, folks, you know, before the fall, <laughs> and even afterwards for a while, they did not need all those good, you know, cow meat. Um, but now we can eat it. Now eat it. And later on, God will restrict what parts can be eaten or not eaten. But then he says this, and this is the important thing. Do not eat lifeblood. That's the one instruction. So don't eat live things. Don't drink the blood. And don't spill the blood of another human, because if you do, you will be accountable. For if you take their blood, I will take yours. Now, um, most of us have not uh, weren't around when they were still sacrificing in the temple. <laughs> so they did that till 70 AD. If you are, you're older than I think. But um, when you had a sacrifice in the temple, the humane thing to do was to cut the animal's throat straight away and they would die. Now, blood would be everywhere when you did that because it's, you know, a big artery there. But they didn't suffer. You didn't bleed them out slowly, painfully, because that was inhumane but you didn't drink that blood. So a lot of the you know, other religions that were going on, that was something you did. It was you know, important for multiplication of people and important for the, you know, the, whole, the whole thing and all these religions. God said, don't you dare. And don't take, don't take the life of somebody else because if you do, I will have yours taken. Very serious. And the reason why? For in the image of, for humanity is created in the image of God. Look at verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that blood be shed. For in his own image God made humankind. So when you look at other people, especially when you're serving at the branch barbecue, the homeless people, look for that image of God. It's there. And every person, whether they know Jesus or not, whether they've ever known God, God is present. God is there. That life is precious. So he tells him. And then God said to Noah and his son, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. Oh, wait, not only with you, Noah, making this the Noahic covenant, but everybody's going to benefit. And with every living creature that is with you and the birds and domestic animal and everything on earth, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the watchers of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. And then he said, I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So this summer, we went, Rick and I, um, we always bring Bruce and Linda out, and they help with Nana, who's going to be 103 in February. Yes. Um, and Jordan, 
and then we go off to do something. So, so it had been 15 months. We thought we might go somewhere again. <laughs> so far, so good, honey. Shall we try it again? Okay. So we went to um, Hawaii, and we decided to go to Pearl Harbor. And we went out to the ship. And first, you have to get there very early because you can only buy so many tickets. COVID restrictions are still very much in place there. So we couldn't get a ticket, but they said just arrive at half past six in the morning, which is no big deal for Rick. He's up at five having me drive him to go body surfing. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get up. So we get there at half past six. They let us in the door at seven, and we get in this queue to be left in. Let to in, and meanwhile I go and pick up some things because they said, "Oh, you can keep your place in line. Have one of your members stay there." And I went and asked the woman, "So, we're it's opening. I know it at eight. We don't have tickets, but we're hoping to get in." And she goes, "Oh, no worry. You'll be in by 11. <laughs> so I told that to Rick, and he goes, "Well, wait." So at eight we got in, we got on that boat, and we start out to the ship. And there's a rainbow. Do we not, every time we see a rainbow, feel some hope, something new, a promise? Now that bow is also a bow, like an archery bow, and you see it in battle and scripture, and you see it in other places, but it's really used for the strength that God's promise is God's promise. That will not change. And so we have this bow, this covenant that God says, this is the sign of the covenant I make between you and every living creature. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every uh, living creature and all flesh and all water shall uh, never again become a flood destroyed all the earth. When the bow is in the cloud, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant, God, and every living creature on all earth that is on the earth. You see that? Everybody in this covenant benefits. And it's interesting because we remember, but the language here, God is saying, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember my promise to you. So here's a story that is, you know, in the roller coaster, it looks like goes down in the deepest depths, and then it comes up with hope, 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 and it ends on that, here's a promise, but let me go back for one second. When God saw the evil of the earth, he said, this is it. I'm done. I'm going to destroy everything. And then he changes his mind. He goes, because I see hope in Noah. I don't know if, if along the way, I'm not I don't want to project on God. That's the worst thing. We do it all the time. But anyway, I don't know if God along the way, when he decided I'm going to keep creation figured out, or if he kind of knew it when he said I'm going to keep creation, humanity is corrupt nevertheless. See that language there? He goes, no, I'm making this covenant with you. Even though I know that humankind has evil, even from their youth, even though I know that evil will still exist and corruption will still happen, even though I know that the earth is in decay, I will keep my covenant with you. I'm going to adjust. That even though you reject the creation and the creator, 
I'm going to keep my covenant. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep that promise. Grace. Grace abounds. Grace abounds. We know it in the person of Jesus Christ. We experience, we live it, we feel it. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every page, old and new, is a good news. God is a God of love who feels deeply for his people. Okay, questions. Use the microphone next to him. Yes, Penny, where's the microphone? We have... Vanna helping us over there. Thank I have you. two questions. The first one is, when the animals were sacrificed, were they allowed to eat the meat later? Or what happened to the meat? The, well, at this point, at some point, they are allowed to. Um, and normally the priest would in the Old Testament tradition. But, but for this piece, that's probably not relevant other than God said you can eat the meat now. Before that, they would not, obviously. Um, because you didn't eat meat, you had enough of everything else. And I don't know if they needed to eat meat because in the destruction of the, the world there were certain things that would not come back. I don't know that. But God gives them permission to eat. What's your second question? The second one is you said that um, in 70 AD there were no more animal sacrifices. Is that when the curtain was sliced? That's when the Jerusalem... No. No. The uh, curtain was sliced when Jesus um, was died. Uh, died. 70 years is when Jerusalem's temple was destroyed, and that was the only place that you could have the sacrifice. Whew, glad I knew that one. <laughs> Other questions? Oh, come on, ladies. All right. Yes. Thank you, Catherine. I have two Vanna Whites here. I don't have a question. I have a realization. Here we are today in two, 2022. We're reading this story back. Before history. Yes. We have the same rainbow today that God gave Noah back then. He is constant. I mean, we have that visual, the rainbow. It just occurred to me as I'm listening to, really delving into this and listening to all of this, that we have that tangible, we can see it with our own eyes. And when we see that, we can reflect and remember. It was, to me, it was just an overwhelming realization. I, I, I just, it was a connection that just hit, really hit me hard. Oh, I'm glad that did that for you. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's just the same rainbow that so, God made then makes today, and we can see it. Well, God, yes, and God makes everything that we, that we have, so we, um, we have that. I want to, I want to be very clear, though, this is prehistory. This is Israel trying, or uh, trying to help the people of Israel understand who their God is from the beginning, that God is with us. So not so much Noah as much as God is, is present, but good, good insight. Yeah. Okay. 
So I think it's interesting that when Queen Elizabeth died, there was a double rainbow. And then my aunt just died. And um, my cousins, who are all kind of universalists or agnostic by this point in life, go out on her balcony. She died at home. They go out on the balcony. And there's no rain anywhere, but there's a rainbow. Do you think God still communicates with rainbows? I think God can communicate any way God wants to. Uh, and so, cool. uh, honestly, and I think, you know, uh, I, yeah, that's a good moment. Yes? In the story of Noah and a lot of stories throughout the Bible, there's a lot of collateral damage. Plants, animals, um, maybe other human beings that were, Noah wasn't perfect, but maybe some other human beings that were not so bad, some good. Um, what lesson is that supposed to tell? I'm sorry, ask that. What lesson is that supposed to tell? Um, I think the lesson of this is a God who, even in our corruptness, will create a new creation. That even in our evilness, and people, you know, I think it's exhausting to think, am I good enough? Honestly, guys. Um, and so people do that because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't think, well, I'm good enough. I'm, done. I'm like, well, let, can we unwrap that a little bit? I, I don't say that, but I think about that. Um, ultimately, everything is, is restored and flourishes, despite the fact that we still choose badly. Despite the, look at the Amazon. Talk about cr hurting creation. The, um, in, the Amazon is going away, folks, and all the trees and stuff around it because um, it, has, uh, it helps the poor, and I understand it, but it really helps the rich even more. Unfortunately, a lot of the medicines that we use come from that area, and yet here we are destroying it, um, so it's both for good and for not good, and yet here's part of God's creation. So whatever was missing, we don't know, but we know that there's phenomenal resources um, in our earth, which brings health and wholeness. And so I believe that God, who is um, long-suffering, will continue uh, to bring us um, that new creation in our lives. Remember um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, maybe? Um, Behold, I am a, uh, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so that being renewed every day is a good reminder. But it's difficult because we do exactly, you know, I'm thinking it was really everybody was bad. Really, really, every, you know, and so, like, uh, well, God, I'm, I'm, that's the negotiation part. You know, and later we see in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is about hospitality, thank you very much, um, or lack thereof. Um, remember, uh, they were pleading if there's even one person, would you save the city? So when the city takes that person out of the city. So there's some negotiation there. But you just see, and I think we're all doing it. Isn't there one? Isn't there? Well, yeah, there was Noah. And so he got to bring his sons and go from there. But um, I cannot begin to say, well, God, did you really check under every stone to make sure <laughs> that the good people got to come to? Because I trust, you know, in this picture that, you know, the story is, is that God is grieved by our behavior. 
He makes a new creation, so he changes his mind in that sense. Where he doesn't change his mind is the love for humanity. That's the same today, uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, and there's more too, and I want you to unpack that. But the, um, the idea that uh, God creates something new and is present even in our corruptness is a, is a God that I want to know and follow and trust. Great question. Yes, Francie. If God's covenant with Noah was to never again destroy the earth by flood, is it possible that he could still destroy the earth by other means? Well, in Revelation, we know that the earth will be consumed in a new earth, but it's the earth here just gets um, a new earth without pain, without suffering, without tears, all those things. So eventually, um, I, th I think... Um, the point is the promise of the covenant that in all seasons life will exist. And so God could do what God wants, but I don't, you know, because I think we all go there, well, by fire, by earthquake, by, you know, and I, I think, um, I, I don't think that's the point of, of this as much as God could do that. Yes. Yes, God can do anything. But he's left us with a possibility of terrible things happening because he's given us our free will. So that gift to me is a gift of choice. I can choose to go do good and I can choose to do bad. But overall, whatever I choose, the end, God will repair it. This is true. And I would say to you that every day we have to Lean on God in order to be good. Because I'm just going back to the scripture where he said we're all evil, every single one of us, and every single one of us will choose evil over good. So we can do well. We need that Holy Spirit. We need that empower. We need that grace. Because otherwise you don't need Jesus. Just work hard. Work really hard. And let me know how that goes. Because <laughs> I, I, I fail a lot on that one. I try. There you go. I need that grace. And I need that heart of God. And you're right, we do choose. And that's exactly, you know, there's something about Noah that God saw, you know. Know this, Noah did not say that he was righteous. God did. Let God say that about you. Any other questions? These are great questions. I love you all. I love you. I have two more weeks with you, and I look forward to seeing you. Let me bless you out of here. Lord, bless these ladies as they go into their small groups. May they go even deeper, Lord. So much of this text, Lord, and yet at the very center how do we know you, God? How do we know how you work? May we lean upon your Holy Spirit as we open the scripture, as we talk more in our discussion groups. Bless these ladies, bless their households. In Christ's name, amen.